Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Greatest Love Stories. This is your host, John Hagedorn, and today, chapters 11 and 12, from Marie by H. Ryder Haggard. And now, chapter 11, The Shot in the Kloof. I think it was about three weeks after these events that we began our southward trek. On the morning subsequent to our arrival at Murray's camp, Pereira came up to me when several people were present, and, taking my hand, thanked me in a loud voice for having saved his life. Thenceforward, he declared, I should be dearer to him than a brother, for was there not a blood bond between us? I answered, I did not think any such bond existed. Indeed, I was not sure what it meant. I had done my duty by him, neither less nor more, and there was nothing further to be said. It turned out, however, that there was a great deal further to be said, since Pereira desired to borrow money, or rather, goods, from me. He explained that owing to the prejudices of the vulgar boors who remained alive in that camp, and especially of the scandalous-tongued Vrau Prinsloo, both he and his uncle had come to the conclusion that it would be wise for him to remove himself as soon as possible. Therefore he proposed to trek away alone. I answered that I should have thought he had done enough solitary traveling in this veld, seeing how his last expedition had ended. He replied that he had, indeed, but everyone here was so bitter against him that no choice was left. Then he added with an outburst of truth, Alamakta, mine heir, Quartermain, do you suppose that it is pleasant for me to see you making love all day to the maid who is my betrothed, and to see her paying back the love with her eyes? Yes, and doubtless with her lips, too, from all I hear. This was my answer. You could leave her whom you called your betrothed, but who never was betrothed to anyone but me with her own will, to starve in the veld, mine heir? Why, then, should you be angry because I picked up that which you threw away, that, too, which was always my own, and never yours? Had it not been for me, there would now be no maid left for us to quarrel over, as, had it not been for me, there would be no man left for me to quarrel with about the maid. Are you God, then, Englishman, that you dispose of the lives of men and women at your will? It was he who saved us, not you. He may have saved you, but it was through me. I carried out the rescue of these poor people whom you deserted, and I nursed you back to life. I did not desert them. I want to get help for them. Taking all the powder, and the only horse with you? Well, that is done with, and now you want to borrow goods to pay for cattle, from me, whom you hate. You are not proud, my heir Pereira, when you have an end to serve, whatever that end may be. And I looked at him. My instinct warned me against this false and treacherous man, who, I felt, was even then plotting in his heart to bring some evil upon me. No, I'm not proud. Why should I be, seeing that I mean to repay you twice over for anything which you may lend me now? I reflected a while. Certainly our journey to Natal would be pleasanter if Pereira were not of the company. Also, if he went with us, I was sure that before we came to the end of that trek, one or other of us would leave his bones on the road. In short, not to put too fine a point on it, I feared lest in this way or in that he would bring me to my death in order that he might possess himself of Marie. We were in a wild country, with few witnesses and no law courts, where such deeds might be done again and again, and the doer never called to account for the lack of evidence and judges. So I made up my mind to fall in with his wishes, and we began to bargain. The end of it was that I advanced him enough of my remaining goods to buy the cattle he required from the surrounding natives. It was no great quantity, after all, seeing that in this uncivilized place an ox could be purchased for a few strings of beads or a cheap knife. Further, I sold him a few of the beasts that I had broken, a gun, some ammunition, and certain other necessaries, for all of which things he gave me a note of promise in my pocketbook. Indeed, I did more, for as none of the boors would help him, I assisted Pereira to break in the cattle he bought, and even consented when he asked me to give him the services of two of the Zulus whom I had hired. All these preparations took a long while. If I remember right, twelve more days had gone by before Pereira finally trekked off from Moray's camp, by which time he was quite well and strong again. We all assembled to see the start, and Moray offered up a prayer for his nephew's safe journey and our happy meeting again in Natal at the lager of Retif was to be our rendezvous, if that leader was still in Natal. No one else joined in the prayer. Only Vrau Prinsloo audibly added another of her own. It was to the effect that he might not come back a second time, 
"'and that she might never see his face again, "'either at Retief's lager or anywhere else, "'if it would please the good Lord so as to arrange matters.' "'The Boers tittered. "'Even the Meyer children tittered, "'for by this time the hatred of the Vrau Prinsloo "'for Hernan Pereira was the joke of the place. "'But Pereira himself pretended not to hear, "'said good-bye to us all affectionately, "'adding a special petition for the Vrau Prinsloo, "'and off we went.' I say we went, because with my usual luck to help him with the half-broken oxen, I was commandeered to accompany this man to his first outspan, a place with good water about twelve miles from the camp, where he proposed to remain for the night. Now as we started about ten o'clock in the morning, and the veld was fairly level, I expected that we should reach this outspan by three or four in the afternoon, which would give me time to walk back before sunset. In fact, however, so many accidents happened of one sort or another, both to the wagon itself, of which the woodwork had shrunk, with long standing in the sun, and to the cattle, which, being unused to the yoke, tied themselves in a double knot upon every opportunity, that we only arrived there at the approach of night. The last mile of that trek was through a narrow gorge cut out by water in the native rock. Here trees grew sparsely, also great ferns, but the bottom of the gorge, along which game were accustomed to travel, was smooth enough for wagons, save for a few fallen boulders, which it was necessary to avoid. When at length we reached the outspan, I asked the Hottentot, Klaus, who was assisting me to drive the team, where his master was, for I could not see him anywhere. He answered that he had gone back down the kloof to look for something that had fallen from the wagon. A bolt, I think he said. Very good, I replied. Then tell him, if we do not meet, that I have returned to the camp. As I set out, the sun was sinking below the horizon, but this did not trouble me overmuch, as I had a rifle with me, that same light rifle with which I had also shot the geese in the great match. Also I knew that the moon, being full, would be up presently. The sun sank, and the kloof was plunged in gloom. The place seemed eerie and lonesome. And suddenly I grew afraid. I began to wonder where Pereira was, and what he might be doing. I even thought of turning back and finding some way round, only having explored all this district pretty thoroughly in my various shooting expeditions from the camp. I knew there was no practicable path across these hills, so I went on with my rifle at full cock, whistling to keep up my courage, which, of course, in the circumstances, was a foolish thing to do. It occurred to me at the time that it was foolish, but in truth I would not give way to the dark suspicions which crossed my mind. Doubtless by now Pereira had passed me, "'and reached the outspan. "'The moon began to shine, "'that wonderful African moon, "'which turns night to day, "'throwing a network of long black shadows "'of trees and rocks "'across the game track I was following. "'Right ahead of me was a particularly dark patch "'of this shadow, "'caused by a projecting wall of cliff, "'and beyond it an equally bright patch of moonlight. "'Somehow I misdoubted me of that stretch of gloom, "'for although, of course, I could see nothing there, "'my quick ear caught the sound of movements. "'I halted for a moment. "'Then, reflecting that these were doubtless caused "'by some night-walking creature, "'which, even should it chance to be dangerous, "'would flee at the approach of man, "'I plunged into it boldly. "'As I emerged at the other end, "'the shadow was eighteen or twenty paces long. "'It occurred to me that if any enemy were lurking there, "'I should be an easy target "'as I entered the line of clear light. "'So almost instinctively, "'for I do not remember that I reasoned the thing out. "'After my first two steps forward in the light, "'I gave a little spring to the left, "'while there was still shadow, "'although it was not deep. "'Well, it was for me that I did so, "'for at that moment I felt something touch my cheek "'and heard the loud report of a gun immediately behind me. "'Now the wisest course would have been for me to run "'before whoever had fired found time to reload. "'But a kind of fury seized me, "'and run I would not. "'On the contrary,' I turned with a shout and charged back into the shadow. Something heard me coming. Something fled in front of me. In a few seconds we were out into the moonlight beyond, and, as I expected, I saw that this something was a man, Pereira. He halted and wheeled around, lifting the stock of his gun, club fashion. "'Thank God it is you, Air Allen,' he said. "'I thought you were a tiger.' "'Then it's your last thought, murderer,' I answered, raising my rifle." "'Don't shoot,' he said. "'Would you have my blood upon you? "'Why do you want to kill me?' "'Why did you try to kill me?' "'I answered, covering him. 
"'I try to kill you? Are you mad? Listen for your own sake. I sat down on the bank yonder waiting for the moon, and, being tired, fell asleep. Then I woke up with a start, and thinking from the sounds that a tiger was after me, fired to scare it. I'll amuck the man. If I'd aimed at you, could I have missed at that distance?' "'You did not quite miss, and had I not stepped to the left, you would have blown my head off. Say your prayers, dog.' "'Alan Quartermain!' he exclaimed with desperate energy. "'You think I lie, who speak the truth. Kill me if you will. Only then remember that you will hang for it. We court one woman, that is known. And who will believe this story of yours that I tried to shoot you? Soon the Kaffirs will come to look for me. Probably they're starting already, and will find my body with your bullet in my heart.' "'Then they'll take it back to Murray's camp, and I say, "'Who'll believe your story?' "'Some, I think, murder.' "'But as I spoke the words, a chill of fear struck me. "'It was true. I could prove nothing, having no witnesses, "'and henceforward I should be a cane among the boors, "'one who had slain a man for jealousy. "'His gun was empty, yes, but it might be said that I had fired it after his death. "'And as for the graze upon my cheek, why, a twig might have caused it. "'What should I do, then? "'Drive him before me to the camp and tell this tale? "'Even then it would be my word against his. "'No, he had me in a forked stick. "'I must let him go, "'and trust that heaven would avenge his crime, "'since I could not. "'Moreover, by now my first rage was cooling, "'and to execute a man thus. "'Hernan Pereira,' I said, "'you are a liar and a coward. "'You tried to butcher me because Marie loves me and hates you, "'and you want to force her to marry you.' "'yet I cannot shoot you down in cold blood, "'as you tried to do to me. "'I leave it to God to punish you. "'As sooner or later he will, here or hereafter. "'You who thought to slaughter me "'and trusted the hyenas to hide your crime, "'as they would have done before morning. "'Get you gone before I change my mind, "'and be swift.' "'Without another word he turned "'and ran swiftly as a buck, "'leaping from side to side as he ran, "'to disturb my aim in case I should shoot. "'When he was a hundred yards away or more, "'I, too, "'turned and ran, never feeling safe "'till I knew there was a mile of ground between us. "'It was past ten o'clock that night "'when I got back into the camp "'where I found Hans the Hottentot "'about to start to look for me "'with two of the Zulus "'and told him that I had been detained "'by accidents to the wagon. "'The Brow Prinsloo was still up also, "'waiting to hear of my arrival. "'What was the accident, Alan?' "'She asked. "'It looks as though there had been a bullet in it.' "'And she pointed to the bloody smear upon my cheek. "'I nodded.' "'Pereras?' she asked again. I nodded a second time. "'Did you kill him?' "'No, I let him go. It would have been said that I murdered him, and I told her what had happened. "'Yeah, Ellen,' she remarked when I had finished. "'I think you were wise, for you could have proved nothing. But, oh, for what fate, I wonder, is God Almighty saving up for that stink cat? "'Well, I will go and tell Marie that you are back safe, for her father won't let her out of the hut so late.' "'but nothing more unless you wish it. "'No, Tante, I think nothing more, at any rate, at present. "'Here I may state, however, "'that within a few days Marie and everyone else in the camp "'knew the story in detail, except perhaps Murray, "'to whom no one spoke of his nephew. "'Evidently, Vral Prinsloo had found herself "'unable to keep secret such an example "'of the villainy of her aversion, Pereira. "'So she told her daughter, who told the others quickly enough, "'though I gathered that some of them set down "'what they had happened to accident. "'Bad as they knew Pereira to be, "'they could not believe that he was guilty "'of so black a crime. "'About a week later the rest of us started "'from Murray's camp, a place that, "'notwithstanding the sadness of many of its associations, "'I confess I left with some regret. "'The trek before us, although not so very long, "'was of an extremely perilous nature. "'We had to pass through about 200 miles of country, "'of which all we knew was that its inhabitants "'were the Amatanga and other savage tribes. "'Here I should explain that after much discussion "'we had abandoned the idea of retracing the route "'followed by Murray on his ill-fated journey "'towards the Delagoa. "'Had we taken this, it would have involved "'our crossing the terrible Labombo Mountains, "'over which it was doubtful "'whether our light cattle could drag the wagons. "'Moreover, the country beyond the mountains "'was said to be very bare of game "'and also of kaffirs, "'so that food might be lacking. "'On the other hand, "'if we kept to the east of the mountains, "'the veld through which we must pass was thickly populated, "'which meant that in all probability "'we could buy grain. "'What finally decided us to adopt this route, however, 
was that here in these warm, low-lying lands there would be grass for the oxen. Indeed, now, at the beginning of spring, in this part of Africa it was already pushing. Even if it were not, the beast could live upon what herbage remained over from last summer and on the leaves of the trees, neither of which, in this winter veld, ever became quite lifeless, whereas on the sere and fire-swept plains beyond the mountains they might find nothing at all. So we determined to risk the savages and the lions which followed the game into these hot districts, especially as it was not yet the fever season or that of the heavy rains, so that the rivers would be fordable. Until the great one of which I shall have to tell presently, they were of an annoying rather than of a serious nature. Traveling as we did, between the mountains and the sea, we could not well lose our way, especially as my Zulus had passed through that country, and when their knowledge failed us, we generally managed to secure the services of local guides. The roads, however, or rather the game tracks and kafir paths which we followed, were terrible, for with the single exception of that of Pereira for part of the distance, no wagon had ever gone over them before. Indeed, a little later in the year, they could not have been traveled at all. Sometimes we stuck in bogs out of which we had to dig the wheels, and sometimes in the rocky bottoms of streams, while once we were obliged literally to cut our way through a belt of dense bush from which it took us eight days to escape. Our other chief trouble came from the lions, whereof there were great numbers in this veld. The prevalence of these hungry beasts forced us to watch our cattle very closely while they grazed, and at night, wherever it was possible, to protect them and ourselves in bomas, or fences of thorns, within which we lit fires to scare away wild beasts. Notwithstanding these precautions, we lost several of the oxen, and ourselves had some narrow escapes. Thus one night, just as Marie was about to enter the wagon where the women slept, a great lion, desperate with hunger, sprang over the fence. She leaped away from the beast, and in so doing caught her foot and fell down, whereupon the lion came for her. In another few seconds she would have been dead or carried off living, but as it chanced, Brow Prinsley was close at hand. Seizing a flaming bell from the fire, that intrepid woman ran at the lion, and, as it opened its huge mouth to roar or bite, thrust the burning end of the bow into its throat. The lion closed its jaws upon it, then, finding the mouthful not to its taste, departed even more quickly than it had come, uttering the most dreadful noises, and leaving Marie quite unhurt. Needless to say, after this I really worshipped the Vrouw Prinsloo, though she, good soul, thought nothing of the business, which in those days was but a common incident of travel. I think it was on the day after this lion episode that we came upon Pereira's wagon, or rather, its remains. Evidently he had tried to trek along a steep, rocky bank which overhung a stream, with the result that the wagon had fallen into the stream bed, then, almost dry, had been smashed beyond repair. The Tonga natives of the neighborhood, who had burned most of the woodwork in order to secure the precious iron bolts and fittings, informed us that the white man and his servants who were with the wagon had gone forward on foot some ten days before, driving their cattle with them. Whether the story were true or not, we had no means of finding out. It was quite possible that Pereira and his companions had been murdered, though as we found the Tongas were very quiet folk if well treated and given the usual complimentary presence for way-leaves, this did not seem probable. Indeed, a week later, our doubts upon this point were cleared up thus. We had reached a big crawl called Fokati, on the Umkosi River, which appeared to be almost deserted. We asked an old woman whom we met where its people had gone. She answered that they had fled towards the borders of Swaziland, fearing an attack from the Zulus, whose territories began beyond this Umkusi River. It seemed that a few days before a Zulu impi, or regiment, had appeared upon the banks of the river, and although there was no war at the time between the Zulus and the Tongas, the latter had thought it wise to put themselves out of reach of those terrible spears. On hearing this news, we debated whether it would not be well for us to follow their example, and, trekking westwards, try to find a pass in the mountains. Upon this point there was a division of opinion among us. Murray, who was a fatalist, wished to go on, saying that the good Lord would protect us, as he had done in the past. Allah Makta, answered the Vrouw Prinsloo. Did he protect all those who lie dead at Murray's camp? Whither your folly led us, mine heir? The good Lord expects us to look after our own skins, and I know that these Zulus are of the same blood as Umsilikazi's Kafirs, who have killed so many of our people. Let us try the mountains, say I. Of course her husband and son agreed with her, for to them the vrouw's word was law. But Moray, being as usual obstinate, 
would not give way. All that afternoon they wrangled, while I held my tongue, declaring that I was willing to abide by the decision of the majority. In the end, as I foresaw they would, they appealed to me to act as umpire between them. "'Friends,' I answered, "'if you had asked me my opinion before, I should have voted for trying the mountains, beyond which, perhaps, we might find some boors. I do not like this story of the Zulu Impi. I think that someone has told them of our coming, and that it is us they mean to attack, and not the Tongas, with whom they are at peace. My men say that it is not usual for Impis to visit this part of the country.' "'Who could have told them?' asked Murray. "'Oh, I don't know, mine heir. "'Perhaps the natives have sent on word, "'or perhaps Hernan Pereira. "'I knew you would suspect my nephew, Alan,' "'he exclaimed angrily. "'I suspect no one. "'I only weigh what is probable. "'However, it is too late for us to move tonight "'either south or westwards, "'so I think I will sleep over the business "'and see what I can find out from my Zulus.' "'That night, or rather the following morning, "'the question was settled for us, "'for when I woke up at dawn,' It was to see the faint light glimmering on what I knew must be spears. We were surrounded by a great company of Zulus, as I discovered afterwards, over two hundred strong. Thinking that after their fashion they were preparing to attack us at dawn, I called the news to the others, whereupon Murray rushed forward just as he had left his bed, cocking his roar as he came. "'For the love of God, don't shoot,' I said. "'How can we resist so many? Soft words are our only chance.' Still he attempted to fire, and would have done so had I not thrown myself upon him and literally torn the gun from his hand. By this time the Vrouw Prinsloo had come up, a very weird spectacle, I recollect, in what she called her sleep garments, that included a nightcap made of worn jackal skin and a kind of otter-pelt stomacher. "'Accursed fool!' she said to Murray. "'Would you cause all our throats to be cut? Go forward, you, Alan, and talk to these swartzels. That is, black creatures. Gently!' "'as you would to a savage dog. "'You have a tongue steeped in oil, "'and they may listen to you.' "'Yes,' I answered. "'That seems to be the best thing to do. "'If I should not return, "'give my love to Marie.' "'So I beckoned to the headman of my Zulus "'whom I had hired at Delagoa "'to accompany me, "'and marched forward boldly, quite unarmed. "'We were encamped upon a rise of ground "'a quarter of a mile from the river, "'and the Impi, or those of them whom we could see,' were at the foot of this rise, about a hundred and sixty yards away. The light was growing now, and when I was within fifty paces of them, they saw me. At some word of command, a number of men rushed toward me, their fighting shields held over their bodies, and their spears up. "'We are dead!' exclaimed my kafir in a resigned voice. I shared his opinion, but thought I might as well die standing as running away. Now I should explain that though as yet I'd never mixed with these Zulus, I could talk several native dialects kindred to that which they used very well indeed. Moreover, ever since I had hired men of their race at Delagoa, I had spent all my spare time in conversing with them and acquiring a knowledge of their language, history, and customs. So by this time I knew their tongue fairly, although occasionally I may have used terms which were unfamiliar to them. Thus it came about that I was able to shout to them, asking what was their business with us. Hearing themselves addressed in words which they understood, the men halted, "'and seeing that I was unarmed, three of them approached me. "'We come to take you prisoners, white people, "'or to kill you if you resist,' said their captain. "'By whose order?' I asked. "'By the order of Dinjan, our king.' "'Is it so? "'And who told Dinjan that we were here?' "'The boor who came in front of you.' "'Is that so?' I said again. "'And now what do you need of us?' "'That you should accompany us to the crawl of Dinjan.' "'I understand. We are quite willing, since it lies upon our road. "'But then why do you come against us, who are peaceful travellers, with your spears lifted? "'For this reason, the Boer told us that there is among you a child of George, an Englishman, "'a terrible man who would kill us unless we killed or bound him first. "'Show us this child of George that we may make him fast, or slay him, and we will not hurt the rest of you.' "'I am the child of George,' I answered. "'and if you think it necessary to make me fast, do so.' "'Now the Zulus burst out laughing. "'Why, you're but a boy who weighs no more than a fat girl!' "'exclaimed their captain, a great bony fellow who was named Kambula. "'That may be so,' I answered, "'but sometimes the wisdom of their fathers dwells in the young. "'I am the son of George who saved these boers from death far away, "'and I am taking them back to their own people. 
"'We desire to see Dinjan, your king. "'Be pleased, therefore, to lead us to him "'as he has commanded you to do. "'If you do not believe what I tell you, "'ask this man who is with me "'and his companions who are of your own race. "'They will tell you everything.' Then the Captain Kambula called my servant apart and talked with him for a long while. When the interview was finished, he advanced to me and said, "'Now I've heard all about you. I've heard that although young you are very clever, so clever that you do not sleep, but watch by night as well as by day. Therefore that I, Kambula, name you Makumazan. Watcher by night, and by that name you shall henceforth be known among us. Now, Makumazan, son of George,' "'Bring out these boors whom you are guiding "'that I may lead them in their moving huts to the great place, "'Umgungunglovu, where dwells Dinjan the king. "'See, we lay down our spears "'and will come to meet them unarmed, "'trusting to you to protect us, O Makumazan, son of George.' "'And he cast his assegai to the ground. "'Come,' I said, and led them to the wagons. "'We'll return with Chapter 12, right after these sponsor messages.' And now, Chapter 12, Dinjan's Bet. As I advanced to the wagons accompanied by Kambula and his two companions, I saw that Marais, in a state of great excitement, was engaged in haranguing the two Prinsloo men and Meyer, while the Vrau Prinsloo and Marie appeared to be attempting to calm him. "'They are unarmed!' I heard him shout. "'Let us seize the black devils and hold them as hostages!' Thereon, led by Marais, the three Boer men came towards us doubtfully, their guns in their hands. "'Be careful what you're doing,' I called to them. "'These are envoys.' "'And they hung back a little while Moray went on with his haranguing. "'The Zulus looked at them and at me. "'Then Kumbula said, "'Are you leading us into a trap, son of George?' "'Not so,' I answered. "'But the Boers are afraid of you and think to take you prisoners.' "'Tell them,' said Kumbula quietly, "'that if they kill us or lay a hand on us, "'as no doubt they can do, "'very soon every one of them will be dead "'and their women with them.' I repeated this ultimatum energetically enough, but Moray shouted, "'The Englishman is betraying us to the Zulus. Do not trust him. Seize them, as I tell you.' What would have happened, I am sure I do not know, but just then the Vrau Prinsloo came up and caught her husband by the arm, exclaiming, "'You shall have no part in this fool's business. If Moray wishes to seize the Zulus, let him do it himself. Are you mad or drunk that you should think that Alan would wish to betray Marie to the Kaffirs, to say nothing of the rest of us?' And she began to wave an extremely dirty vetdoik, or dishcloth, which she always carried about with her and used for every purpose towards Kambula as a sign of peace. Now the Boers gave way, and Boray, seeing himself in a minority, glowered at me in silence. "'Ask these white people, O Makumazan,' said Kambula, "'who is their captain, for to the captain I would speak.' I translated the question, and Boray answered, "'I am.' "'No,' broke in Vrel Prinsloo. "'I am. "'Tell them, Alan, that these men are all fools "'and have given the rule to me, a woman.' "'So I told them. "'Evidently this information surprised them a little, "'for they discussed together. "'Then Kambula said, "'So be it. "'We have heard that the people of George "'are now ruled by a woman, "'and as you, Makumazan, are one of that people, "'doubtless it is the same among your party.' Here I may add that thenceforward the Zulus always accepted the Vral Prinsloo as the Inkosikas, or chieftainess of our little band, with the single exception of myself, whom they looked upon as her mouth, or Induna, would only transact business with or give directions to her. The other Boers they ignored completely. This point of etiquette settled, Kambula bade me repeat what he had already told me, that we were prisoners whom he was instructed by Din John to convey to his great place, and that if we made no attempt to escape, we should not be heard upon the journey. I did so, whereupon the Vrau asked, as I had done, who had informed Dinjan that we were coming. I repeated to her word for word what the Zulus had told me, that it was Pereira, whose object seems to have been to bring about my death or capture. Then the Vrau exploded. Did you hear that, Henri Marais? She screamed. It is your stinkcat of a nephew again! Oh, I thought I smelt him in this deal! "'Your nephew has betrayed us to these Zulus "'that he may bring Alan to his death. "'Ask him, Alan, what this Dinjan has done with the stink-cat.' "'So I asked, and was informed that they believed "'that the king had let Pereira go on to his own people "'in payment of the information that he had given him.' "'My God!' said the Vrau. 
I hoped that he had knocked him on the head. But what is to be done now? I don't know, I answered. Then an idea occurred to me, and I said to Cambula, It seems to be me, the son of George, that your king wants. Take me, and let these people go on their road. The three Zulus began to discuss this point, withdrawing themselves a little way so that I could not overhear them. But when the Boers understood the offer that I had made, Marie, who until now had been silent, grew more angry than ever I had seen her before. "'It shall not be!' she said, stamping her foot. "'Father, I have been obedient to you for long, but if you consent to this, I will be obedient no more. Alan saved my cousin Ernan's life, as he saved all our lives. In payment for that good deed, Ernan tried to murder him in the kloof. Oh, be quiet, Alan. I know the whole story. Now Ernan has betrayed him to the Zulus, telling them that he is a terrible and dangerous man who must be killed. Well, if he is to be killed, I will be killed with him, and if the Zulus take him and let us free, I go with him. Now make up your mind. Marais tugged at his beard, staring first at his daughter and then at me. What he would have answered I do not know, for at that moment Cambula stepped forward and gave his decision. It was to the effect that although it was the son of George whom Ding John wanted, his orders were that all with him were to be taken also. Those orders could not be disobeyed. The king would settle the matter as to whether some of us were to be killed and some let free, or if all were to be killed or let free, when we reached his house. Therefore he commanded that we should tie the oxen to the moving huts and cross the river at once. This was the end of that scene. Having no choice, we inspanned and continued our journey, escorted by the company of two hundred savages. I am bound to say that during the four or five days that it took us to reach Dinjan's crawl, they behaved very well to us. With Kambula and his officers, all of them good fellows in their own way, I had many conversations, and from them learned much as to the state and customs of the Zulus. Also the peoples of the districts through which we passed flocked around us at every outspan, for most of them had never seen a white man before, and in return for a few beads brought us all the food that we required. Indeed, the beads, or their equivalents, were nothing but a present, since, by the king's command, they must satisfy our wants. This they did very thoroughly. For instance, when on the last day's trek some of our oxen gave out, numbers of Zulus were inspanned in place of them, and by their help the wagons were dragged to the great crawl Umgungunglovu. Here an outspan place was assigned to us near the house, or rather the huts, of a certain missionary of the name of Owen, who with great courage had ventured into this country. We were received with the utmost kindness by him and his wife and household, and it is impossible for me to say what pleasure I found, after all my journeyings, in meeting an educated man of my own race. Near to our camp was a stone-covered copy, where, on the morning after our arrival, I saw six or eight men executed in a way that I will not describe. Their crime, according to Mr. Owen, was that they had bewitched some of the king's oxen. While I was recovering from this dreadful spectacle, which, fortunately, Marie did not witness, the Captain Kambula arrived, saying that Dinjan wished to see me. So taking with me the Hottentot Hans and two of the Zulus whom I had hired at Delagoa Bay, for the royal orders were that none of the other white people were to come, I was led through the fence of the vast town in which stood two thousand huts, the multitude of houses, as the Zulus called it, and across a vast open space in the middle. On the farther side of this space, where, before long, I was fated to witness a very tragic scene, I entered a kind of labyrinth. This was called Siklolo, and had high fences with numerous turns, so that it was impossible to see where one was going or to find the way in or out. Ultimately, however, I reached a great hut named Intankulu, a word that means the house of houses, or the abode of the king, in front of which I saw a fat man seated on a stool, naked except for the moocha about his middle and necklaces and armlets of blue beads. Two warriors held their broad shields over his head to protect him from the sun. Otherwise he was alone, although I felt sure that the numerous passages around him were filled with guards, for I could hear them moving. On entering this place, Kambula and his companions flung themselves upon their faces and began to sing praises of which the king took no notice. Presently he looked up, and appearing to observe me for the first time, asked, "'Who is that white boy?' Then Kambula rose and said, "'O king, this is the son of George, whom you commanded me to capture. I have taken him and the Amabuna, that is the Boers, his companions, and brought them all to you, O king.' 
"'I remember,' said Din John, "'the big boor who was here, "'and whom Tambusa, "'he was one of Din John's captains, "'let go against my will, "'said that he was a terrible man "'who should be killed "'before he worked great harm to my people. "'Why did you not kill him, Kambula? "'Although it is true he does not look very terrible.' "'Because the king's word was that I should bring him to the king living,' answered Kambula. Then he added cheerfully, "'Still, if the king wishes it, I can kill him at once.' "'I don't know,' said Dinjan doubtfully. "'Perhaps he can mend guns.' Next, after reflecting a while, he bade a shield-holder to fetch someone. I could not hear whom. "'Doubtless,' thought I to myself, "'it is the executioner.' And at that thought a kind of mad rage seized me. Why should my life be ended thus in youth to satisfy the whim of a savage? And if it must be so, why should I go alone? In the inside pocket of my ragged coat I had a small loaded pistol with two barrels. One of those barrels would kill Dinjan. At five paces I couldn't miss, and the other would blow out my brains, for I was not minded to have my neck twisted or to be beaten to death with sticks. Well, if it was to be done, I'd better do it at once. Already my hand was creeping towards the pocket when a new idea— or rather two ideas, struck me. The first was that if I shot Dinjan, the Zulus would probably massacre Marie and the others, Marie whose sweet face I should never see again. The second was that while there is life, there is hope. Perhaps, after all, he had not sent for an executioner, but for someone else. I would wait. A few minutes more of existence were worth the having. The shield-bearer returned, emerging from one of the narrow, reed-hedged passages, and after him came no executioner, but a young white man, who, as I knew from the look of him, was English. He saluted the king by taking off his hat, which I remember was stuck round with black ostrich feathers, then stared at me. "'Oh, Thomas! That is how he pronounced Thomas,' said Din John. "'Tell me if this boy is one of your brothers, or is he a boor?' "'The king wants to know if you are Dutch or British,' said the white lad, speaking in English." "'I'm as British as you are,' I answered. "'I was born in England and come from the Cape.' "'That may be lucky for you,' he said, "'because the old witch-doctor, Zikali, "'has told him that he must not kill any English. "'What is your name? "'Mine is Thomas Halstead. "'I am interpreter here. "'Alan Quartermain. "'Tell Zikali, whoever he may be, "'that if he sticks to his advice, "'I will give him a good present.' "'What are you talking about?' "'asked Din John suspiciously.' "'He says he is English, no boor, O king, "'that he was born across the black water, "'and that he comes from the country "'out of which all the boors have trekked.' "'At this intelligence, Dinjan pricked up his ears. "'Then he can tell me about these boors,' he said, "'and what they are after. "'Or could, if he were able to speak my tongue. "'I do not trust you to interpret, you Thomas, "'whom I know to be a liar.' "'And he glowered at Halstead. "'I can speak your tongue, though not very well, O king,' I interrupted. "'and I can tell you all about the Boers, "'for I have lived among them.' "'Ah!' said Dinjan, intensely interested. "'But perhaps you are also a liar. "'Or are you a praying man, "'like that fool yonder, who is named Owena? "'And he meant the missionary, Mr. Owen, "'whom I spare because it is not lucky "'to kill one who is mad, "'although he tries to frighten my soldiers "'with tales of a fire "'into which they will all go after they are dead. "'As though it matters what happens to them "'after they are dead,' he added reflectively, "'taking a pinch of snuff. "'I am no liar,' I answered. "'What have I to lie about?' "'You would lie to save your own life, "'for all white men are cowards, "'not like the Zulus, "'who love to die for their king. "'But how are you named?' "'Your people call me Makumazan. "'Well, Makumazan, "'if you are no liar, tell me, "'is it true that these Boers rebelled "'against their king who was named George "'and fled from him as the traitor "'Umzilikazi did from me?' "'Yes,' I answered. "'That is true.' "'Now I'm sure that you're a liar,' said Din John triumphantly. "'You say that you are English, and therefore serve your king, or the Inkosikas, that is the great lady, who they tell me now sits in his place. How does it come about, then, that you are traveling with a party of these very Amabuna, who must be your enemies, since they are the enemies of your king, or of her who follows after him?' Now I knew that I was in a tight place, for on this matter of loyalty, Zulu, and indeed all native ideas, are very primitive. If I said that I had sympathy with the Boers, Dinjan would set me down as a traitor. If I said that I hated the Boers, then still I would be a traitor because I associated with them, 
"'and a traitor in his eyes would be one to be killed. "'I do not like to talk religion, "'and anyone who has read what I have written in various works "'will admit that I have done so rarely, if ever. "'Yet at that moment I put up a prayer for guidance, "'feeling that my young life hung upon the answer, "'and it came to me, whence I do not know. "'The essence of that guidance was that I should tell the simple truth "'to this fat savage. "'So I said to him, "'The answer is this, O king.' "'Among these boors is a maiden whom I love "'and who betrothed herself to me since we were so high. "'Her father took her north, "'but she sent a message to me saying that her people died of fever "'and she starved. "'So I went up in a ship to save her, and have saved her, "'and those who remained alive of her people with her.' "'Ah,' said Dinjan, "'I understand that reason. "'It is a good reason. "'However many wives he may have,' "'There is no folly that a man will not commit "'for the sake of some particular girl "'who is not yet his wife. "'I have done as much myself, "'especially for one who is called Nada the Lily, "'of whom a certain Umslopogus robbed me, "'one of my own blood, of which I am much afraid.' "'For a while he brooded heavily, then went on. "'Your reason is good, Macumazahn, "'and I accept it. "'More, I promise you this. "'Perhaps I shall kill these boors, "'or perhaps I shall not kill them. "'But if I make up my mind to kill them, "'This girl of yours shall be spared. "'Point her out to Kambula here, not to Tomas, "'for he is a liar and would tell me the wrong one, "'and she shall be spared.' "'I thank you, O king,' I said, "'but what is the use of that if I am to be killed?' "'I did not say that you were to be killed, Macumazahn, "'though perhaps I shall kill you, "'or perhaps I shall not kill you. "'It depends on whether I find you to be a liar or not a liar.' "'Now the boor whom Tambusa let go against my wish "'says that you are a mighty magician "'as well as a very dangerous man, "'one who can shoot birds flying on the wing with a bullet, "'which is impossible. "'Can you do so?' "'Sometimes,' I answered. "'Very good, Macumazahn. "'Now we will see if you are a wizard or a liar. "'I will make a bet with you. "'Yonder by your camp is a hill called Ploma Amabutu, "'a hill of stones where evildoers are slain.' This afternoon some wicked ones die there, and when they are dead the vultures will come to devour them. Now this is my bet with you. When those vultures come, you shall shoot at them, and if you kill three out of the first five on the wing, not on the ground, Macumazahn, that I will spare these boors. But if you miss them, then I shall know that you are a liar and no wizard, and I will kill them every one on the hill, Holoma Amabutu. I will swear none of them except the girl, whom perhaps I will take as a wife. "'As to you, I will not yet say what I will do with you.' "'Now my first impulse was to refuse this monstrous wager, "'which meant that the lives of a number of people "'were to be set against my skill in shooting. "'But young Thomas Halstead, "'guessing the words that were about to break from me, "'said in English, "'Except unless you're a fool. "'If you don't, he will cut the throats of every one of them "'and stick your girl into the Imposini, "'meaning harem, "'while you will become a prisoner as I am.' These were words that I could not resent or neglect, so although despair was in my heart, I said coolly, "'Be it so, O king, I take your wager. If I kill three vultures out of five as they hover over the hill, then I have your promise that all those who travel with me shall be allowed to go hence in safety.' "'Yes, yes, Macumazahn. But if you fail to kill them, remember that the next vultures you shoot at shall be those that come to feed upon their flesh. For then I shall know that you are no magician, but a common liar.' "'And now be gone, Tomas. "'I will not have you spying on me. "'And you, Macumazahn, come hither. "'Although you talk my tongue so badly, "'I would speak with you about the boors.' "'So Halstead went, shrugging his shoulders "'and muttering as he passed me. "'I hope you really can shoot.' "'After he had left, I sat alone for a full hour with Dinjan "'while he cross-examined me about the Dutch, "'their movements and their aims in traveling to the confines of his country. "'I answered his questions as best I could,' "'trying to make out a good case for them. "'At length, when he grew weary of talking, "'he clapped his hands, "'whereupon a number of fine girls appeared, two of whom carried pots of beer, "'from which he offered me drink. "'I replied that I would have none, "'since beer made the hand shake, "'and that on the steadiness of my hand "'that afternoon depended the lives of many. "'To do him justice, he quite understood the point. "'Indeed, he ordered me to be conducted "'back to camp at once that I might rest, "'and even sent one of his own attendants with me "'to hold a shield over my head as I walked.' "'so that I should be protected from the sun. "'Hambagashli, that is, go softly,' "'said the wicked old tyrant to me "'as I departed under the guidance of Kambula. "'This afternoon, one hour before sundown, 
I will meet you at Hloma and Mabuku, and there shall be settled the fate of these Emabuna, your companions. When I reached the camp it was to find all the Boers clustered together waiting for me, and with them the Reverend Mr. Owen and his people, including a Welsh servant of his, a woman of middle age whom I remember was called Jane. "'Well,' said the Frau Prinsloo, "'and what is your news, young man?' "'My news, aunt,' I answered, "'is that one hour before sundown today "'I have to shoot vultures on the wing "'against the lives of all of you. "'This you owe to that false-hearted hound, "'Hernan Pereira, "'who told Dinjan that I am a magician. "'Now Dinjan would have me prove it. "'He thinks that only by magic "'can a man shoot soaring vultures with a bullet, "'and as he is determined to kill you all, "'except perhaps Marie, "'in the form of a bet, "'he has sent me a task which he believes to be impossible. "'If I fail, the bet is lost.' "'and so are your lives. "'If I succeed, I think your lives will be spared, "'since Cambula there tells me "'that the king always makes it a point of honor "'to pay his bets. "'Now you have the truth, and I hope you like it.' "'And I laughed bitterly. "'When I had finished, "'a perfect storm of execration broke from the Boers. "'If curses could have killed Pereira, "'certainly he would have died upon the spot, "'wherever he might be. "'Only two of them were silent. "'Marie, who turned very pale, poor girl,' "'and her father. "'Presently one of them, I think it was Meyer, "'rounded on him viciously "'and asked him what he thought now of that devil, his nephew. "'I think there must be some mistake,' "'answered Murray quietly, "'since Ernan cannot have wished "'that we should all be put to death.' "'No,' shouted Meyer, "'but he wished that Alan Quartermain should, "'which is just as bad, "'and now it has come about "'that once more our lives depend upon that English boy.' "'At any rate,' replied Murray, "'looking at me oddly, "'It seems that he is not to be killed, "'whether he shoots the vultures or misses them.' "'That remains to be proved, mine heir. "'I answered hotly, "'for the insinuation that I had sold out stung me. "'But please understand "'that if all of you, my companions, "'are to be slaughtered, "'and Marie is to be put among this black brute's women, "'as he threatens, "'I have no wish to live on.' "'My God, does he threaten that?' "'said Murray. "'Certainly you must have misunderstood him, Alan.' "'Do you think that I should lie to you upon such a matter?' I began. But before I could proceed, the Vrau Prinsloo thrust herself between us, crying, "'Be silent, you, Murray, and you too, Alan. Is this the time that you should quarrel and upset yourself, Alan, so that when the trial comes you will shoot your worst and not your best? And is this a time, Henri Murray, that you should throw insults at one on whom all our lives hang, instead of praying for God's vengeance upon your accursed nephew? Come, Alan, and take food.' I have fried the liver of that heifer which the king sent us. It is ready and very good. After you have eaten, you must lie down and sleep a while. Now among the household of the Reverend Mr. Owen was an English boy called William Wood, who was not more than twelve or fourteen years of age. This lad knew both Dutch and Zulu, and acted as interpreter to the Owen family during the absence on the journey of a certain Mr. Hulley, who really filled that office. While this conversation was taking place in Dutch, he was engaged in rendering every word of it into English for the benefit of the clergyman and his family. When Mr. Owen understood the full terror of the situation, he broke in, saying, "'This is not a time to eat or to sleep, but a time to pray that the heart of the savage Dinjan may be turned. Come, let us pray.' "'Yes,' rejoined Brow Prinsloo, when William Wood had translated. "'Do you pray, predicate, and all the rest of you who have nothing else to do. And while you are about it, "'Pray also that the bullets of Alan Quartermain may not be turned. "'As for me and Alan, we have other things to see to, "'so you must pray a little harder to cover us as well as yourselves. "'Now you come along, nephew Alan, "'or that liver may be overdone and give you indigestion, "'which is worse for shooting than even bad temper. "'No, not another word. "'If you try to speak any more, Henri Marais, "'I will box your ears.' "'And she lifted a hand like a leg of mutton. "'Then, as Marais retreated before her, "'seized me by the collar as though I were a naughty boy "'and led me away to the wagons. "'Thank you very much for joining us for chapters 11 and 12 "'of Marie by H. Ryder Haggard. "'We've got a few recent reviews I'd like to share with you. "'The first one, five stars, top-notch podcast. "'Here's two reviews in one. "'When I was starting to send a review on the current storyline, "'I realized that I had failed to hit the send button for a previous story. "'The current story is Marie, which is a great choice.' Well, I've heard of some of the other stories about this character. I had not heard of this one. Very entertaining and full of suspense. The second review is for Anne of Green Gables. 
I've read several of the Anne of Green Gables books and seen some of the movies and TV series, but I anxiously await this reading coming available on Sunday nights. Perfect narration and expression by John. Couldn't ask for anything better. Thanks so much. That one from New Mexico Gal, Apple Podcast, U.S. Thank you so much, New Mexico Gal, for your review. It's appreciated. And this one, The Scarlet Pimpernel. This is my absolute fave classic. Great to see it in digital form. Though from user 9585, Apple Podcast Canada. Join us next week, Sunday night at 6 p.m. Eastern Time for chapters 13 and 14 of Marie by H. Ryder Haggard. This is your host, John Hagedorn. Until next week, everyone, stay safe, and we'll be back soon. Music.